0: Hello. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Like you might have heard Yoshi say, my name is Grant. Uh, I'm with the South Tuesday Community Group, as he so boisterously yelled. I think that's the right word. Um, Yeah, it's great to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited to be here with you, getting to read through the Book of Mark with you. Um, Before I jump in, I thought it would be cool to just share a quick story about a friend of mine. Uh, So some of you guys might know him if you've been here at H2O for a while. His name is Kyle Metz. Uh, He was on staff for several years. Uh, He and his wife just recently uh, left staff to go and follow the Lord, where the Lord was calling them into a different ministry and different season of life. So several years ago, I started getting to do life with Kyle, and he and I had a lot of ministry roles that we started doing together in the church um, before then didn't know him super well and pretty quickly I just realized he and I had very different personalities as we started getting to know each other uh, And he got to know my life in the depths of me and who I am He began to point out things in my life that he saw as incorrect or Sometimes wrong sometimes. Hey, I think this is a belief that isn't right And I want to challenge you to rethink what that is that you're thinking uh, I'm getting a few head nods from people who know Kyle pretty well. I wish he was here so you can meet him the reason I mention Kyle is, yeah, something that was really unique about our relationship that I really appreciate about him is how he would just cut right to the heart of things in life. He would see something in me and in my life, and he wouldn't be scared to just speak in and say, hey, I see this in your life. I think this is something for you to consider. Have you thought about this thing? And the Lord used him in a lot of really cool ways in my life to speak love and truth to me and to challenge me. And it was never from a place of... Uh, conceit it was never from a place of arrogance or shame but he shared it out of a place of love because he saw me and wanted to challenge me in ways that were going to be helpful and edifying for me and the reason I bring up Kyle now is because if you've been with us we've been reading through the book of Mark and we've been doing one chapter a week so for the entire semester for the 16 weeks of the semester we're hitting on the 16 chapters in Mark so it fits pretty well And we're entering into a moment in Jesus' ministry where he's going to say some things to the spiritual leaders in his day that are going to challenge a lot of the things that they believed and thought were spiritual and religious. And he's going to say some things that are going to cut right to the heart of some issues that were happening in the lives of his people. And I want to just clarify, too, that as we read this, this isn't just something that was meant for Jesus and his people in those days, but that's meant for us today today as well. And as we read this scripture together and learn from God's word, I want us to consider what this means for us in our lives today. Not just look at it as something that's distant and far away, but something that God still has some value for us today in. And so if you could pray with me before we jump in, that'd be great. Yeah, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we get to read your word and to hear from you thank you that you have kept your word intact so that we could gather today two thousand years after your son jesus uh, came to earth and did his ministry and died and was resurrected thank you that we get to read your words lord i pray that yeah you would prepare our hearts and our minds for this time that we would be open to the ways that you want to speak to us the ways that you might want to challenge us and that we would come away feeling challenged but also encouraged by your word lord We love you, and we ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. So, if you could turn with me, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today. We're not going to be able to cover the whole chapter, but we're going to cover some major chunks that we see here in this passage of Scripture. We'll also have the passage on the screen, I believe, so you can just read along with us if you want. So, Mark chapter 7, it says, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And so, just to give you a little bit of historical context, the scribes and the Pharisees were major religious leaders back in Jesus' day, and they would teach God's word to the people and how they should live out God's word in their everyday lives. And what's interesting about their relationship with Jesus is there's some opposition that started pretty early on in Jesus' ministry between him and these religious leaders. He began performing miracles, and as he performed miracles, he began to say things that challenged a lot of the rules and teachings of the religious leaders, like the Pharisees and the scribes back in the day. And if you were with us several weeks ago, we got a quick glimpse of this in Mark chapter 2, where it says that they started looking for a way to kill and destroy Jesus. And so they're coming in with this opposition and their question. To him for his disciples about why they're not washing hands is coming from a place of looking for accusations against Jesus to prove that he's a fake and a phony and so they ask him why is it that your disciples not wash their hands before they eat and so just to clarify too he's not saying this from a place of hygiene like for us today, yes, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. Like we know from science, like, okay, there are germs, and you don't want those germs to get in you as much as possible. And so we're, he's not saying never wash your hands ever. But in those days, uh, the washing of hands was meant to be the spiritual cleansing practice. And so the religious leaders would tell people you should wash your hands before you eat. And what's interesting is that's actually not... A command that was strictly in God's law and to give a little context of that so in Jesus's day there was a written law known as God's law which you can actually read today in the first five books of the Old Testament sometimes called the Pentateuch written by Moses and so in those laws there are several laws about how the Jewish people uh, would relate to each other and to God And so you can go back in scripture and you can read these laws and you see that there are a lot of laws that have to do with cleansings, purity, rituals, sacrifices, as well as laws that had to do with how the people should relate to each other and treat each other and how they should worship God. And there actually wasn't anything in this scripture that had to do with the washing of hands. The closest thing that you can see is in the book of Moses where Moses says that the priests before they entered into the tabernacle to perform their priestly duties, they would have to wash their hands before they handled the holy, sacred items. And so it's possible that the Pharisees and the religious leaders saw this law and thought, well, we should all be as pure and holy as the priests, right? And so let's let's also wash our hands. Let's also perform this religious duty. And what's interesting is, and many times in the law in the old testament there actually were times where it seemed kind of unclear about what the people were actually supposed to do and so throughout the history of israel there were many religious spiritual leaders who would actually commentate on the law and they would say well the law is unclear here but this is what we think you should do in order to follow it and so over the centuries before jesus's time there was this oral tradition. And if you go back to the section in Mark, we see that this is that oral tradition that the Pharisees are referring to. Because they don't say that Jesus and his disciples aren't following the law. They're saying, why do you not hold to the tradition of the elders? And this tradition of the elders was this oral interpretation that was created for the law. So you had God's written law, and then you had this oral law that was created by men and what's interesting is in jesus's time this oral law was actually very highly valued mostly above god's written law in fact there's one rabbi from around jesus's time who says he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come and then in another place it says it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself and so in jesus's time the religious leaders were holding a higher value of this oral tradition over god's written law and so now the question comes what's jesus response going to be to these spiritual leaders as they're coming to him and they're holding him and his disciples to this these man-made laws and so in mark chapter 7 verses 6 through 13 we get to see jesus's response and he said to them well did isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles mother or father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And what's interesting about Jesus' response is he could have very easily argued the law to them and said, Hey, this actually isn't a law that you need to follow. This isn't in God's written word. But it's interesting because his response actually jumps straight to the heart of the issue at hand. And he says, you guys are hypocrites. You guys have hearts that are far from God. And on the outside, it looked like that they were putting on a good spiritual show. And what's interesting is in those days, many of the Jewish people did believe that the Pharisees did hold very highly to God's law and saw them as very high and righteous and spiritual. And yet Jesus is coming to them and say, you've missed the mark and your hearts are far from the Lord. And so the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders, they had created this complex religious system of performances and tasks, this legalistic checklist that if they checked everything off, they could somehow get close to God. But the reality is, and Jesus is pointing pointing this out to them, he's, he's saying that they had the image of being religious and spiritual, but they were actually far from God. And not only were they giving higher value and priority to the traditions of men, but there were times where those traditions were actually in opposition to God's word. And then Jesus gives them an example in that section of Mark, when he says, Moses said to honor your father and mother, but you say, if whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, if people decided to declare the things that they had as Corbin. And I'm glad that Mark has this little parenthesis here. He tries to explain to his audience, like if you don't know what Corbin is, here's a little glimpse of it, just in case you don't know. And in the parentheses, he says, that is given to God. So basically what was happening is in God's law, he said, honor and respect your father and mother. And in those times, as their parents got older and they couldn't provide for themselves, it was expected that the children would help take care of their parents financially as they got older. But what the Pharisees and spiritual leaders were saying was, well, you can actually take your own money, your finances, and you can declare them as given to God, so then you don't have to take care of your parents, and you can just let them do their own thing, and then you can do your own thing over here with your own money. And so that they were creating these laws that actually prevented people from honoring their father and mother like God wanted them to. And what's interesting is we see other examples, In the new testament in the gospels about jesus calling out similar things to the pharisees one example in matthew 23 jesus is calling them out and saying woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you tithe spices and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel and it's interesting because We see how they were idolizing and idealizing certain parts of God's law while sacrificing others. And I think this can feel like something that's super distant and far from us, but I think if we take an honest inventory of our own lives, we see that we do very similar things. We make our own man-made rules and traditions that we think would somehow get us closer to God and make us more spiritual or make us look more spiritual than other people. For me, I thought of an example for me back in college. I remember when I was an H2O as a student, something I would do often is whenever we would pray together, for whatever reason, I had this very high value of the words that were spoken in prayer. And I thought, all right, I want to speak the most fluent, flamboyant, as many syllable words as possible. And man, I'm just going to really impress people with these words. Like they're going to hear me say these long syllables and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, that Grant Corey, he's so spiritual. Listen to what he's saying. And I honestly thought that in my mind, like, man, if I could just say these really eloquent prayers, that's going to make me seem really spiritual to everyone else. And I would have this perception that I'm actually closer to God. And what was supposed to be this genuine, authentic prayer and communication with God turned into this spiritual game I was playing with myself and other people. And when I heard some people pray these eloquent prayers that sounded a lot better than mine, I would feel this shame and downcast, like, oh man, I'm far from God. And so I created this spiritual game that I followed. And I think if we're honest, we would point out other things in our own lives that we do. Maybe it's that, maybe it's different things. But Jesus is entering into this moment and he's saying, no, that's not what God is after. He's not after these superficial religious performances but he's after a life lived out of a genuine love and heart for him and what's really cool is we see in the gospels how jesus reiterates this there are a few moments where some spiritual leaders come to jesus and they ask him teacher what is the greatest commandment in the whole law and we see in matthew 22 he answers them and says You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great first command. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus very boldly and blatantly states, the law hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor perfectly. And then after this, moment jesus takes this moment of conflict and he makes it into a teaching moment which is something that he does pretty often through the gospels and so in verses 14 through 23 we see and he called the people to him again and said to them hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him and we had entered the house and left the people his disciples asked him about the parable and he said to them There are you also without understanding, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of our heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And so here we see Jesus cutting more to the heart of the issue. The Pharisees had gotten their spiritual experience backwards. They believed that if they did enough outward acts of righteousness and holiness, they could somehow make themselves pure and holy and right before God. But Jesus says, no, the problem isn't what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. Your hearts are far off and far from God. One commentator who commented on this section of scripture put it really well. They said, They, like most Jews of their time, thought of sin as a sort of germ, an infection caught by contact with others outside. Jesus taught that sin was like a cancer growing within us, Jew and non-Jew alike. That is far harder to deal with, for we cannot avoid it by avoiding infection from others. It needs radical spiritual surgery that will change our inner nature and so jesus is trying to take this moment to teach the people like hey the issue here is that you have a heart problem and our spiritual dirtiness isn't a performance issue it's a heart issue and if we take an honest honest inventory of our hearts i think we would all see that there's some hurt pain insecurity emptiness dirtiness things that we see in our daily lives that then get expressed as we hurt others and as we experience hurt by others i think you can see this on a macrocosm just by looking at the news when you hear about mass shootings the poor and needy taken advantage of social injustices all you need to do is watch the news and you see that the evil defiled nature of the human heart is on full display And the reality is, yes, the heart of God's commandments is that we love him and love others perfectly. But if we're honest with ourselves, we say that we can't do that well. We can't do that on our own. And it's really interesting because you read this passage and Jesus just kind of drops this mic here and he says, yeah, your problem is with the heart. That's the issue here. And it just kind of ends and he doesn't really address it anymore. And you're kind of left with this open question of like, okay, then what? Like, what can we do about this then? All right, our hearts are dirty. Yes, we see that, but is there a way out? Is there a way to get healing and cleansing? And it's interesting because the author Mark does this all the time in his gospel. And at times it's kind of funny. He just kind of like drops this huge nugget of information. And Jesus said this, and then it moves on. And then you're kind of left to wrestle with, okay, but what does that mean for us then? Like, and I think Mark is doing this intentionally here to let you wrestle with, this condition that Jesus is telling us that we're in. Okay, what's the solution then? Is cleansing possible? And he means for us to see Jesus in the midst of this as the solution to that deep heart issue. And there's still that question of, okay, how does that work? How can Jesus be the issue? What hope is there for us? And it's interesting because if you read through the Old Testament, you see over and over again, God's people, they are given the law and then immediately they break it. They begin turning to other nations. They begin hurting each other and it doesn't take long for their society to just devolve into this huge mess of injustice and brokenness. And throughout the Old Testament, you see God continue to call that out and saying, you guys are not doing what is right and you're hurting one another and within those call outs that god does through his prophets he still sprinkles in these messages of hope but there is hope and there will be a future that things will be made right and i'm not just going to let you go and let this continue but i'm going to do something about this and so god's response is to send a solution and what's cool is you read through the old testament and you see glimpses of this hope one example in ezekiel 11 19 through 20 God says, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In Isaiah 1 8, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And it's really cool because you see some similar language here that Jesus is using. Like, hey, you have this heart issue going on here. Your heart is like stone, but God said he will give us a heart of flesh. And our sin stains us like crimson, and it's something we can't clean on our own. But God says, I will clean you of your sins, and you'll become white as wool. And what's cool is in Isaiah, especially, you see later glimpses of God's promise being fulfilled that he would send a messiah a savior to the world that would enact this cleansing in our individual lives and in our social lives. And we see Jesus as the answer to that fulfillment and the gospel writers over and over again provide you context of the old testament saying you know that prophecy in the old testament that's Jesus that's who he is the healer has come. Matthew 5:17 um, we get to see one example of even Jesus saying this about himself. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We were meant to live a perfect life of love and obedience before God, but we can't do that. And Jesus came so that he could do that and fulfill the law on our behalf. In Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul elaborates more on this idea, and he says, For our sake he made him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, meaning Jesus lived a sinless life, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so the reality is we need someone to heal and cleanse our deep stains of sin. And his name is Jesus. And it's really funny, a few days ago I had a pretty funny life circumstance that just seemed to tie in pretty well with this. So on Friday, I went to urgent care. Uh, I'm fine. It wasn't super urgent. Thank you for the concerned faces. I appreciate them. Um, But it's really funny. Over Christmas, I started getting this little red mark, like a rash under my arm. And I was talking to my dad about it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what this is. It's not really itchy. It's not really doing anything weird. And we just kind of talked about it and wondered like, oh, yeah, maybe it's this thing. And he gave me this like little topical medication saying like, yeah, try this, see if it'll work for you. But if it doesn't go away or like diminish in a few weeks, you know, you should probably go to the doctor. That'd be a good thing to get checked out. You don't wanna leave something like that too long. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I'll try it out. And so I got the topical medication and started putting it on and applying it. And then weeks passed and months passed. And I kept meaning to schedule a doctor's appointment to get it checked out, but I kept putting it off. And you know, I can come up with all these excuses, like I'm busy, I have other things going on, but the reality is I just kept waiting until finally this last Friday, I finally went to urgent care. I'm like, okay, let's just get this checked out now. And so I go to urgent care, I see a doctor and she's asking me all the basic questions like, oh yeah, what are you in for, what's going on? I tell her, yeah, I don't know why, but there's just just this weird red mark that appeared under my arm like a few months ago. And she's like, a few months ago? Have you waited this long to come in? And you could tell she was just so exasperated, like, well, at least have you been treating it with anything? I'm like, yeah, you know, I have this medication, this little bottle that my dad gave me, you know, to put it on, and, you know, I was going to come to the doctor earlier, but I forgot, and she's like, well, can I see it? And so I had wisely taken a picture of the medication before I went, so I just showed her a picture, like, oh, yeah, this is what it is, and she's like, that's not the right medication, that's not what you need for your issue, like... So you've been waiting two months to see a doctor and you've been using this medication that actually doesn't work for the ailment that you have. And you could just tell she was exasperated. And I'm just like, yeah, you're right. Should have gone here earlier. And I thought it was so funny. But also, I'm like, I think we all do that in some way. Like if we look at our lives, we notice like we see the dirtiness in our lives. We see the issues going on and we turn to all of these things that we think will medicate us or fix us. Or make us better, whether it's human traditions, like if I just pray really lofty prayers, I could somehow get closer to God. But in reality, it didn't work. That medication didn't work for me. I was applying the wrong medication to the issue. And so the reality is, we are in a similar boat where we need a physician. We have something in our lives that needs healing, and we need a physician, and his name is Jesus. And he's come to heal us and to cure us. And I think the first step to believing in Jesus, because if you've been with us, that's the name of our sermon series, Believing Jesus, not just knowing his words, knowing his life and his actions, but actually believing in him and who he is and what he said. And the first step to believing in Jesus is realizing we as individuals and as a society are sick and in need of a physician and a healer. So what does that look like? What does it look like? To come to Jesus and what I love about the book of Mark and in this chapter in particular is that we actually get to see a really cool example of this after Jesus's interaction with the religious leaders and then his teaching we get to see an example of someone coming to Jesus and so if we go to Mark 7 verses 24 through 30 it says and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know For this statement you may go your way the demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone and so you see this picture where jesus and his disciples they're getting away from the region where they have been doing a lot of their ministry they travel about 40 miles north to a region primarily lived in by gentiles and it seems like they wanted to get away for some rest which is something that they did often And they didn't want to be known that they were there, and yet they couldn't be hidden because Jesus had become so popular, and even the Gentiles as well as the Jews were coming to him. But it's interesting, this this woman was a mother, and just imagine her situation and where she's at in this moment. She has a daughter who has an unclean spirit, and there's nothing that she can do about it. She's totally powerless and helpless, and she's heard about this guy named Jesus, and he's heard about... She's heard about the healings that he's done, doing similar things for other people, healing them of their demon possessions, healing them of other things. And so she goes looking for him and eventually finds him and falls at his feet in an act of desperation, wanting healing for her daughter. And Jesus' response is interesting, and I wish we had more time to go into it, but he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right for the children's bread to be thrown to the dogs. And something that a lot of commentators believe he's saying here is Jesus was meant to come for the people of Israel it was never meant to stop there it was meant to go out to all the Gentiles but here he's saying I'm here for the children of Israel not for dogs and back in those days dogs were considered very unclean And when you think about this woman and who she is she's a Gentile meaning that most Pharisees spiritual leaders people who were Jewish wouldn't interact with the Gentiles because they believed they were unclean and far from God. And not only that, but she was a woman, which back in those days meant she would have been of a very low social class. And so she's of a low social class. She's considered unclean and impure. And Jesus says, yes, like this is not meant for you and people who are dogs, who are unclean. And it's so interesting because you see her response. And if I was in her shoes, my response would have been, How dare you? Like, do you not know who I am? Like, look at my spiritual resume and look at all of these things I've done. I have earned this from you. I deserve some kind of spiritual compensation for the life that I've lived. That's so interesting because she goes to Jesus and she just says, yes, you're right. I'm unclean. I'm a dog. I have nothing of value to offer to you in this moment. I come only empty, humble, and desperate that you would do something. And it's cool because in her response, she even says, for even the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. It's almost like she's saying, yes, I know you came for Israel, but even if you give me the smallest crumb, I know that's going to be enough to heal my daughter. And Jesus' response is, you may go your way, for the demon has been sent out from your daughter. And if we read another gospel in the book of Matthew it's cool because we see a, a few more words that Jesus says to her in response to this act of faithful desperation that she demonstrates and he says you have great faith and so we look at this and we see how Mark is contrasting these two different responses to Jesus you have these Pharisees who are coming in with this spiritual resume thinking that they somehow have earned and deserve some kind of favor with God And then you you have this woman who recognizes she's unclean she has nothing of value to offer and she comes to Jesus humble and empty and desperate and she's the one that Jesus is praise praises for her faith and the Pharisees receive a lecture one passage that I thought related to this really interestingly was Ephesians 2 8 through 9 where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this healing and cleansing that God freely offers us through his son is not something we can work to earn on our own, but it's a free gift that's freely given to us if we have faith and believe in his son Jesus that he can do it. So the question for us today then is, do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can clean us and give us new hearts? And what's your response gonna be to him? Will you surrender to him? And will you come to him lowly and empty and trust that he wants to heal and fulfill your heart and give you a heart of flesh? Do you trust that he wants to do the same for others in your life and that he wants to use you to bring this message of hope to the hopeless and the helpless? And maybe some of you are here today, and maybe this is really new to you. And maybe you realize, like, man, I've lived a lot of my life just checking off the spiritual list, hoping I could do enough, hoping I could earn God's favor. And maybe that's what you were taught it meant to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. And this is challenging because Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way. Just come to me with faith and receive the healing and cleansing that I have for you. And if you're like me and you've been a follower of Jesus for years, you could probably find yourself in a situation where it's like, man, I'm still dirty and there are still times in my life where like, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with that prayer thing, like making it that spiritual game. How lofty can I pray? Not always, but it's still something that can come up. And we realize as Christians, like, man, we can still struggle with this. We still experience this dirtiness and this sin in our lives. And the reality is that on this side of eternity, we'll never see an end to that sin in our lives. We will forever see it, but God does promise growth and transformation. And if you've heard the word sanctification, that's basically what it means. Like we get to become more like Jesus on this side of eternity. And the moment we place our faith in Christ, trusting that he died for our sins, then we get to see the Holy Spirit come into our lives and begin to transform us and sanctify us and make us more into the image of his son And that process will not end on the side of eternity but we get to have this future hope that there will be a day where jesus returns and he'll make all things new and make things right and pure and we'll get to live for eternity in pureness and cleanliness as we were originally meant to let us pray yeah father thank you so much for this time where we get to come to you and be in your word and be reminded of how you entered into human history and you interrupted uh, the flow of sin and brokenness and you didn't just leave us to our devices to be forever succumbed to the dirtiness and brokenness of our individual hearts that then gets manifested in society as a whole but you came to heal us and clean us and redeem us and i pray that that's something we would get to experience in our lives Thank you, Lord, that you, you love us, that you did this out of love, that you call out the sturdiness in our hearts, not out of shame or condemnation. And maybe for some of us, that's what we can feel sometimes, but you call it out because you love us and you want us to come to you with openness and humility. And I pray that would be our heart posture to you. And as we take communion during this time, that we would remember Jesus and how he was the solution that you sent to cleanse us. Amen.